Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Let's open up our Bibles today and uh, get them open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. And we'll start in verse 1 in a bit. We're continuing our series, Living on Purpose. Living purposefully and understanding, uh, and understanding that God has a calling and a destiny for each of us to live out in this life. Amen? So we're, we're living with purpose and we're living with a destiny as well. And we're looking at several of the key parables, if you will, of Jesus to discover that purpose. So each of these stories that Jesus tells, I believe are going to speak into our lives and help us to live out that kind of purposeful life that God intends for us, because he has a destiny for each and every one of you. Trust me, he really does. And he wants to uh, get you on, on that path and on that course. Our passage today, for me, has been one of the most difficult parables for me to understand. And in fact, again, um, even just studying it again this week, it's like, I'm just so grateful to the Holy Spirit because a new fresh revelation came to me today uh, or this week as I was looking at it. Uh, Upon a surface examination, though, of this text, it appears that Jesus is saying something that sounds contrary to other things we find in the Bible. Uh, Jack Hayford, uh, a mentor of mine, Pastor Jack, is now retired, but he uh, used to call passages like this Bible bumps. They're kind of like speed bumps. You're, you're just doing fine. You're driving along in the Bible. You're just reading along. And all of a sudden, you read something. And you go, whoa, what was that? <laughs> you know, that just doesn't seem right. I like that description. But let's look at our text right away now. Get right into it. Luke 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. Uh, uh, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Now, how many see my issue right off the bat, right? This is like, what? And then it goes on and then it says, the master commended. This is where it I start losing my my way a little bit. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And remember, this is Jesus talking. Listen to what Jesus says. For the people of this world are more shrewd in their dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. That's us, by the way. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Are you getting bothered by any of this yet? Right? You know, on first glance, you think, is Jesus saying we could buy our way into heaven? Did anybody else think that? Just me. Oh, me and and Court. Okay. I'm the only one thinking this sounds weird to me. Okay. But Jesus isn't saying that, and we're going to look at it here in a minute. Um, Then he goes on and he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So... If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? 
No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Woo! There's a lot to unpack, and we won't hit it all, but man, there's a lot I want to talk about. So for a few moments today, I'm going I'm to talk to you about our role in God's scheme of things as managers. And my title is today, I'm in management. Would you say those words with me? Go ahead. I'm in management. No, do it a little more boldly. Ready? Go. I'm in management. You'll see what I mean in just a moment here. Let's pray. God, help your uh, people, myself included, to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today, and help us to unpack this text that kind of uh, causes us to take a little bit of a pause and wonder what on earth is being said here and to really get through and understand the information that you intended for us so that we might be those who live purposefully and on purpose in our lives. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Do you agree? Say amen. All right. So, um, when I was in uh, high school, I was a junior in high school, I used to run cross country. and that was the only sport I could do because, uh, well, I just could run. That's about all I was coordinated enough to do. <laughs> and so, anyway, so I ran cross country, and we, um, we of course, would have away meets, and we lived in southern Oregon, and kind of like this part of Washington, we had to make long trips sometimes down to the southern part of the state to go have a meet. And so, um, and it was kind of a I remember it was a cool, crisp kind of a fall day, um, and so on that after we had run and done everything, on the bus trip home, I, uh, I had my jacket on because it was a bit cold. And um, everybody on the bus knew I was a Christ follower. I was, from the time I entered my sophomore year of high school, I just made it plain that I, you know, I had just received Christ. To me, it was like critically important that we get the word out. And so I just started telling everybody about Jesus right from the get-go. So, you know, on one hand, uh, you know, there was no holding back. On the other hand, a lot of people kind of shunned me because they thought I was a religious fanatic, which I kind of was. <laughs> and so that's okay, though. <laughs> but I, I was really a, a Christ fanatic is what I was more than anything else. And so, so one of the guys sitting near the back of the bus as we're driving along the road, he must have been familiar with the Bible and for all I know, he was a closet Christian, uh, but he made no overt <laughs> claims. But, uh, but anyway, on the way home that night, he spoke up from the back of the bus and he, he said to me, hey, Sal, Hey, the Bible says that if someone asks you for your coat, you have to give it to them. And, uh, and in that moment, I thought, oh man, this just got real, didn't it? Right? I, just, I mean, like, you're just a junior in high school. Now, now I, remembered, I remembered in my mind thinking, I know Jesus said that, but I was racing to think, like, is there a, is there a loophole? Is there an escape clause? Is there something? And pretty much no. And so I... And then he says, give me your coat. And I remember thinking, too, about my mom and how poor we were. We didn't have very much money at all. And I thought, if I give my coat away, my mom's going to have to buy me another coat. I, you know. And so this is all going through your head so quickly. And, uh, but, but also, and, uh, and honestly, I started to try to think of a reason why I could tell him no and why he was a big, fat, stupid idiot. But, I, you know, no. <laughs> You know, just thoughts, right, going through your head. So, um, but instead, I just, I just thought, what the heck? And I stood up, I took off my coat, and I started to walk to the back of the bus. And, 
And it was kind of a, a real neat moment for me because I thought, you know, I remember thinking these thoughts as I'm walking back that talking about being a Christian was a lot easier than actually walking it out. Is this true, right? So I start thinking, oh man, you know, and, and yet there's somehow for me as a fairly new believer, about a year I'd known the Lord, I realized that if I gave my jacket away, God was good enough that he would take care of me. And, and, and I was beginning a journey that I'm still on as a 61-year-old man now, that, that I began to understand the goodness of God and, and the fact that I have a Heavenly Father who cares about me and, and, that, you know, and, that and I came to the understanding that obedience to God is paramount. Obedience to God will always result in good for me. And, even, and so if it's obedience to His Word and a word like that or, or Him speaking to me in some way, I'm just like, I'm going to be obedient. So I... I start to hand my, uh, my coat to this guy, and, uh, and as I did, he just kind of looked at me, and he started laughing a little bit, a nervous laugh, and he said, oh, I was just kidding, and then I just looked at him like, you jerk, but anyway, I didn't say it, and I just took my coat, put it back on, and went and sat back down, but it's just kind of like, wow, that was an intense moment for a young man in high school as I thought about that, but what, what it kind of did for me it was a good remembrance is that I can't be afraid to, to give my stuff away. I just can't be afraid. In this story, we, we have a man who's in this position of being a manager for a rich man. There, there's a term out there in the business world called middle management. You ever heard of that before? Okay. So in my estimation, you know, someone who knows business better than me can correct me, but all management is middle management, isn't it? Like you're in the middle somewhere between the owner and the customer or the people, right? <laughs> so you're somewhere in the middle. It might be a wide middle, but, but you're in the middle management someplace. And, and so, and, and so then, then it, it kind of like, and this is the beginning of a new revelation that as I started to understand that, that, that we're all in middle management with God. Are you catching what I'm saying? Are you, it's like a little ooh moment for me, ooh, <laughs> right? Because God's the owner and we're the managers, of, of what he has. So, so then we go a little bit further into this and we begin to think about this. And so, so, but in this case, in this man's case in the Bible here, he's not a good manager. He's either lazy, wasteful, or, or even potentially dishonest. He's told that he's about to be fired. Now, I'm not certain why the rich man didn't fire him right on the spot, why he had some time on his hands, but for some reason he's given enough time to begin to do some creative accounting, if you will. And, and, and so we, we say, what are you after in this, Jesus? What are you trying to tell us? What point are you trying to make? Because obviously it can't be that, that Jesus is commending uh, dishonesty or manipulation, right? We, we, see, this is the thing. When we understand the Bible, we have to understand it as a whole and understand context. Not only, you can't just read a parable and think, I got a doctrine out of this. I should cheat my owner because you would misunderstand the meaning of it behind it. So you have to take context all around it. You have to take the context of the, of the Gospels and of the whole Bible. And so that helps us to understand. We know enough about Jesus to know he's not going to commend dishonesty, right? So, so let me give you a, a couple ideas about some things that are being said in this text. But when I get to my conclusion, I, I really have, I think, what I think is the key point of this all. The first point I want to make is this, the wise use of money. Um, 
So we're going to look at, again, we're going to talk about three different things before we get to the, the conclusion. To me, what is the main point of this? So I would believe, I believe it would be a mistake if we thought for one minute that Jesus, again, was disp- uh, applauding dishonesty or mismanagement. That's not what this is. The NIV uses the word shrewd to translate the word from the original language uh, that, that is here, that is t- it's saying you know, that he was a shrewd manager, he acted shrewdly. Um, and both those words are, are forms of the same word in the Greek language, uh, as you might imagine. They're ones in a, uh, is it an adverb? Yes. I was terrible at English, believe it or not, in school, but yeah. Is that right? Adverb? Shrewdly? Okay. I just need some confirmation out there, people. Did, some of you got A's in English. I got D's in English in high school. I know. <laughs> Help me. you got to help me. Okay. Adverb. That's it. Okay. So, um, but anyway, uh, but, but when we hear the word shrewd or shrewdly, we tend to think of a negative connotation. Do we not? Does that, does that sound right to you? And, uh, but, but the NIV uh, uses the word shrewd, but in other places when it's translated, the same word is translated wise. Okay. It's wise. When I, when I think of shrewd, I think of this story about a clerk who was working in a grocery store and, and uh, at the information counter or something like that, and a lady came up to him and said, he, she said, hey, uh, can, can I buy half a grapefruit? And, and he kind of, in his mind, kind of rolled his eyes and thought, that's just silly. So he, he says, just a minute. And so he goes to ask his manager. He says, he walks in, and he's, he's saying, hey, there's a crazy lady out there who wants to buy half a grapefruit. Well, about that time, he realized she's just right behind him. And then he turns and he says, and this lady, this lovely lady, would like to buy the other half. (laughs) So the manager says to him, later on he sees him, he says, man, I like you. You're kind of quick on your feet. You're, You're smart. I like that. He said, where are you from, son? He says, I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania home of ugly women and great hockey. The manager looks at him and says, my wife is from Lancaster. He says, what team did she play on? (laughs) Now that's shrewd right there. (laughs) I mean, you have to appreciate somebody who could think that quick, right? But, but, but so that's how we tend to think of shrewd. But here, this, this, this same word is used in another story that Jesus tells about the five wise virgins who were prepared when it was time to go to the wedding celebration. It's also used when Jesus said that a wise man built his house upon a rock. So I think that really, in all actuality, what Jesus is not, he's not saying he's shrewd. And I think, I think the NIV probably thinking, uh, that, that, that thinking more negatively about this man thought, nah, it's negative, so we're going to turn it to shrewd, which is a possible translation. But I really think Jesus is applauding wisdom here in this man's case. And, and, and in what ways is he, he wise? Well, first of all, he understood his audience. It, it says the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind. This man knew how to get through to those who owed debts. Reduce their debt, right? <laughs> you know? And it, it's a mark of wisdom on our part to know how to deal with people in their situation. God give us wisdom when it comes to dealing with people, amen? Like this, so we might be able to just speak to them and help them because we understand the situation that they're in. That's a, that's a level of wisdom we can all use. And the second way is he understood uh, that, that he was wise is he understood how to use wealth to gain influence and to gain friends. That might sound like a bad thing because he was 
this man seemed to be focused on himself and his own needs, but imagine with, with me that someone whose heart is pure, not seeking, uh, self-seeking, might use the same principle to gain influence with people and make friends for God. Use the same principle. You see what I'm saying? So, so it's, not just, it's not just money we're talking about here, which that's sort of the topic, but it, but it really has to do, I think, with our time, our talents, our abilities, every, anything we could share with other people. And in, and in so doing, there are not only opportunities to share with them, but oftentimes we are somehow blessed in the process as we are giving away these things. We are blessed even though we're sharing things that God has given us. Are you kind of catching what I'm saying here? God has given us these talents and time and money and abilities and all this stuff, and we use his stuff and share it with other people. So, so that's where this is going. We cannot divorce ourselves from issues regarding money. I, you know, sometimes we pass, oh, pastor's talking about money again. Listen, I haven't talked about money in a really long time, so if you're thinking that, don't go there, honestly. I haven't had a whole sermon on money since we did Rooted a year ago or more. And Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell combined. So money has to be something we talk about because Jesus talked about it a lot. But that leads me to my second point here, which is the reward of trustworthiness. The reward of trustworthiness. Uh, this is one of the greatest truths that anybody can learn. It's, it's closely related in my thinking to the idea of sowing and reaping. Uh, I have often parents who will express to me some concern for behavior that their children are involved in and, and that, that, that it seems to be taking them off course from what... And uh, one thing I've always tried to do with my own children since they were little, you know, it's not, I don't think it's anything that you can't begin to teach at a very early age, but all the way up through as adults, as I have opportunity, this topic still keeps coming up over and over again. And as I talk to other young people and as I talk to parents, I say, express this truth. If you don't get any other truth, express this to your children about their behavior is the principle of sowing and reaping. What things you sow, you will reap. You treat your parents like garbage now, guess what you're going to get when you become a parent? Right? You, you, you behave this way, guess what you're going to reap on the other end? So, so and, you know, if you've lived longer than a few years, you know this comes to pass. Like, you've seen it yourself. Like, stuff I even did before I knew the Lord, and I know He's a God of redemption, but, but the, there's a law like gravity that God put into play, that, that gravity is there whether you like, you know, you could be a Christian and jump off the top of this roof here, or you could be a sinner, but both of you are going to hit the ground and really get hurt probably kill yourselves, right? 60 probably feet from the peak of this roof to the alley. In the same way, sowing and reaping is a principle. Whether you're a believer or not, some of the things you sow, like, like a, for instance would be, let's say you committed a crime and you were guilty of that crime and you went to jail and on your way to jail, you received Jesus and you thought, man, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. You can't put me in jail. I'm a new guy. Guess what? <laughs> no, you're going to jail. You're going to be a Christian in jail for a while, right? Until you, you'll reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. So it's, a, it's an overarching principle, if you will, it would continue. And so, so, um, so we got to see this in our own lives. Uh, let me show you the verse we already read, but two, two verse, three verses here. Uh, again, what Jesus said. This is how Jesus expands the principle. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Sowing, reaping. Sowing little, do you notice when you sow something, it's little seeds. When you reap, it's a harvest. 
right? And that works both in the positive and in the negative. You sow bad stuff here, there's a harvest. But you sow the good stuff over here, and there's a harvest. Tracking with me, okay. He says, uh, let's see, whoever can be, uh, whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth or money, who will trust you with true riches? There is true riches. It goes beyond the, the stuff we have in our pockets and in our bank accounts. You understand? And so God is saying, if you'll, if you'll be faithful to sow over here with the money, you're going to actually reap some true riches over here. Things that are way beyond what you've imagined. And then verse 12, and if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? If we can handle the little jobs, God will bring more to us. He'll entrust us with more. When Rhonda and I went to live in Los Angeles for a year, I had to finish Bible college. And, and um, my goal was to finish it in a year, but I had about a year and a half's worth of work or more to do. And uh, so I went and begged the Bible college. I asked for a special exemption. And instead of a full load of 12 units, I took 24 units my first quarter down there. So I was scheduled to take a double load of school the first quarter. And then it backed off to 22. And then the last quarter was 20. And that's how much it was going to take me to graduate in one year because I hadn't graduated yet, Rhonda. And so Rhonda was committed. She went, already found a full-time job at a bank, which was great. That helped us. But I'm thinking, I, d- I don't feel really comfortable, even though I'm, I've got a double load for school, I don't feel comfortable not trying to earn something, but I didn't really know what I could do in the limited amount of time I would have because a lot of night classes, day classes, a lot of homework. So I, was, uh, I went by the church one day when Rhonda had gone to work. We'd only been there a couple weeks, and, and uh, I was talking to the assistant pastor guy, kind of the administrative guy of the church, church we decided to go to, and I was just out there talking to him. I said, hey, do you, do, you, do you need help with anything around here? I wasn't looking for a job. I just wanted to be busy, and it was summer, and I didn't have anything to do right now. So I said, do you, do you have anything you need done? And as we're standing there, I remember we're standing on the street, and as we're talking the, the sprinklers came on, but when they did, two of them were broken and just spurting water up. He turns to me and says, do you know anything about sprinklers? Well, I had just worked for a landscaper in Oregon before we moved down there. I said, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> and he says, okay, fix those sprinklers. And so for the next two weeks, I went around the whole campus. They had a pretty big kind of a campus with a lot of sprinklers, and I repaired a ton of stuff, set up new timers. I did all this stuff for them. And after that period of time of just volunteering my time, not expecting anything, he came to me and he says, look, listen, we have a, a part-time job available this fall. Uh, it'll start in a couple weeks. It's only 10 hours a week. I'm sorry, but, but if that would work for you, it's, we need a night watchman. We need someone to show up every night at closing time, lock all the doors, make sure there's nobody here, and then clean the parking lot on Saturdays. I said, I could do that. That fit perfectly. It was only a 10-hour job, but it got... And, and I can't tell you how many times in my life I was just faithful to go volunteer my time someplace, help out with something, and the next thing you know, somebody's hiring me because I was faithful over little things, God gave me much to be uh, faithful over. So thank God for that. So good. So, so that's how I've conducted my life, and it's worked out, and it's been good. So I'm telling you, it's a testimony of this principle. Uh, so, so Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. He's not trying to take your money. He's trying to get you blessed when he says things like that. He says, with the same measure you use to give, it will be given back. And because God is a generous God, he'll take that same measure you use and he will press it down, the Bible says. He will shake it together and he says it will be running over into your lap. So, so if you bring God a teaspoon, he'll hand you back a heaping teaspoon. 
You bring God a cup of brown sugar, He'll bring you a cup of brown sugar firmly packed. If you bring the full tithe into the storehouse, He'll open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you can't contain it. You're sowing and you're reaping. And if we're not responsible when we have a little, we're not going to be trustworthy when it comes to handling much. And so we teach, as, to get back to children, we teach our children from the earliest age, when they get their first allowance, give it to them, you know, if, if their allowance is a buck, which probably that's like I'm thinking 20, 30 years ago, right? Anyway, it makes for quick math. If it's a dollar, you give it to them in dimes or change, and then you show them, this belongs to God. Give God what belongs to Him. Okay, from the very start. Then when their first job comes and the check comes and they're all excited to go spend their $100 that came on the check. Again, I'm probably living in the dark ages. But, but you know, you tell them, but don't forget, $10 of that belongs to God. Give it to God. So that teaches us to be good managers. And that leads us to my third point out of this is the impossibility of serving two masters. Jesus tells us about this impossibility of serving God and money, yet we struggle with this from time to time, don't we? We want, we want to at least appear successful. Uh, we, we want security. We want stuff. Let's be real. We have these Amazon accounts. Rhonda, it's, ever since she found Amazon, that was the death of us right there. She, and then she found the wish list on Amazon. And it's like these massive wish lists of things. It's awesome. I love it. <laughs> Consider the fact that, that, just understand for a moment, that when we talked about being a slave to Christ, remember that several weeks ago, as we, uh, the first message we had in this series. And, uh, but a slave had one purpose, which was to serve the master. It would be absurd for a slave to say, you know, I think I'm going to pick up another part-time job over here. No, 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 you're here to serve the master. In the same way, we are servants of God. We're to be fully and completely devoted to him in every aspect, in every moment of our lives. So then we cannot serve both God and money. We can't. Now, if we have the right attitude and God is our master, Right? If he's your master and you have the right attitude, then I pray in Jesus' name that you make bucket loads of money because you'll know what to do with it when you get it. You understand? I hope you are blessed beyond measure in everything you do because, because you have the right attitude. And, uh, and, and this is what James says about that, James 4, 2 through 3. He says, you want something but don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, and this is the crux of it, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So, so God is trying to, to distinguish what kind of people we are, and I think maybe one way to quickly illustrate that would be, are you a pitcher or are you a pipe? Okay? Because if you're a pitcher, then God could bless you and fill you up, but that, that's really the end of it, isn't it? That's as far as it can go. And many of us are just content to be blessed by God and live in Pitcherville. All right? But, but I think what God is asking us all to be and do is to be a pipe, to be a conduit. So then God, what He does is He begins to pour blessings into us, and guess where the blessings go? They go right on out of us. And then he says, wow, you're good at that. And let me expand your... And he makes it, you know, I wish I had a bigger pipe right now, but he, he expands our capacity right? He expands our capacity pretty soon. He's shoving so much, but he knows it's all going to come out the other side and end up being a blessing. And that's what we want to be. We want to be a pipe and not a pitcher. I'd like, um, 
one of our REACH students who are here to help me with an illustration. Do we have any REACH students here? They're all poking each other. Emma, do you want to help me? All right, Rigel, come on up. All right, Rigel, you're going to help me with an illustration here. I'm going to give you... You wish you came now, didn't you? <laughs> See, you should always volunteer when Pastor Sal says volunteer. I have $55 and 50 cents I'm giving to you. How's that? Nice. Did you earn did you do that? Did you earn that? Who gave it to you? Okay. Can I ask you a question? Would you give me five dollars and fifty cents back? Okay. Thank you. Just wait. I only asked for five fifty. Yeah. Okay. So you're okay with giving me this back. How come you're okay with giving me this back? You still got a fifty. That's right. And Whose money was it before you got it? Okay. So is it hard for you to give me back 550 of the money that was mine to begin with? Enjoy your $50. You're blessed. Come on. <laughs> you didn't know that was going to happen to you, did you? So you remember, next time I ask for a volunteer, you never know. Then again, I could humiliate you in front of everybody, so you just don't know. <laughs> but th was that easy to give me $5.50 back? Yeah, it was easy because, because you came with nothing. Well, you understand, you came with nothing. You weren't the owner of that money to begin with. And so, so and you say, well, and by the way, that money, I'm, just, I'm not trying to brag, but that came out of my own wallet. That wasn't church money, I just want you to know. But I don't have any problem giving 50 bucks because I'm not the owner either. You understand? It's just passing through me. I'm not looking for recognition in saying that. I just want you to know I don't waste the church's money or, you know. Okay? So, that, so this is the whole thing. It's like it's easy when you understand. Uh, in other words, if our relationship with God regarding money, if our attitude with God in relationship to money is the buck stops here, then that's where the buck will stop. But if our attitude with God is the buck flows through here, right? God can trust us with more and more bucks will follow. So you've already tithed on that. Are you pretty excited? You get to keep the whole 50. But in the future, Rigel, every dollar you get, give a tenth to God. And he'll bless you even bigger. I promise you, he really will. It's so good. When we truly understand that God's the master, being a conduit and be, you know, of blessing, it'll never be a problem to us. God actually puts it this way. He says, you owe me 10%. He doesn't even, the truth is we don't even begin to start giving until we've crossed the threshold of 10%. And, and uh, you know, if you think this is me raising money for the church, that isn't my attitude at all. And if you don't trust me, um, I don't know why you're coming to church here. But anyway, <laughs> but if you don't trust me and you think I'm money-grubbing, then give your 10% someplace else. You'll, God will bless you anyway. That's, that, I just want to see you blessed. But, but give the 10%. Trust the Lord. And then give on top of that because just become a bigger conduit of blessing. Just let it flow through you. I've seen it time and time again. God is so good.
This is the only way to live. For if we become lovers of money and servants to it, we're going to end up hating and despising God. That's what the Bible just said. If you end up clinging to it and loving it and grasping it and holding on to it, then we become haters of God because you cannot love both God and money. You can't. Now, I've talked today about preparing for your future and having an understanding of the proper place of money, but, but remember, we're in management. We're in management. And when we understand that, it's going to make a lot of sense. Now, the worship team's going to come back up, but I have one final point that will go a little bit quicker here. All those things I just told you and taught you from Scripture are true and real, and they're, uh, they're a part of what Jesus is saying, but I don't believe it's the main point of this text. I can see, you can probably see where I got everything I got out of there, and you say, okay, I get it, but, but here's the, what I believe is the main point, and this was a download of revelation to me as I studied this this week, and I believe the main point is found in verse 9. This was the verse I struggled with the most when he said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed to eternal dwellings. I stopped and commented on that earlier. And, and if you're real, you say, that's a weird verse. I don't know what to do with it. But, but again, as we study a bit deeper, we get, dig into the treasure of God's word here. In the Greek original language, something the Greek can do that the English language can't do is differentiate when there's, you're speaking a plural you and a singular you. In English, we just say you. Now, the Southerners, we've talked about this before, Southerners know how to do it. They can say y'all or all y'all, right? And so they have the plural in the South, but we don't really generally in the English language have the plural. But in the Greek, you would hear two different sounding words. One is plural and one is not. In this case, it is plural when Jesus is saying that. In both of those occasions in that verse where it uses the word you. And so here is another way we could say it and maybe translate it, though I'm not a Bible translator, but this would be a correct understanding. I tell all of you, this is Jesus, all of you to use worldly wealth so all of you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. A little bit different. There's another guy named uh, Wiest who translates the verse this way. It's on the screen. And as for myself... The, I'm saying to you, make for yourselves friends by means of the use of the riches which are the object and desire of the unrighteous world order, that when they, the riches, fail, okay, they, the friends you've made, by your generosity, may be welcomed into everlasting dwelling places. Oh, okay, mind blown, starting to get this, starting to understand. What does it look like? It, well, how, how does that happen? Listen. God is the rich man. He's the owner. And he's inviting us to use his money in wise ways to make friends. Not only for ourselves, but for him when this life is over. And that money has no meaning anymore. You understand that day will be coming, right? The thing that we cling on to so much it eventually will have no purpose. But right now it has huge purpose. And so, so again, not for ourselves only for ourselves, but for Him we're making friends so that we will be welcomed to heaven by those people who have become friends of God because of our generosity. Maybe I need to say that differently. So what I'm saying is, is that when we give, whether it's at church or in missions or, or some other place we give money, or we bless people with our time, our talent, abilities. When we're in that process of sowing what we can and giving, letting generosity flow through us. When we do those things, 
then what we're doing is we are helping people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus because we're making friends of them, right? We can do that. Like, like by keeping the lights on and keeping a pr preacher here, we make friends with people who come in. This is one simple ex explanation. Who come in and didn't know the Lord before, but, but an altar call is given, and now they become friends of God. Do you understand? So we're taking the owner's money, and we're passing it on through so that we can make friends. And we're making friends for God. And then when we die... Someday, some of those friends who have gone on before us, they're the ones who will welcome us into e eternal dwellings. They'll say, oh, thank you for spending the money to make sure I got saved. Thanks for giving so much to missions. Thanks for sending people on the mission field. Thanks for doing these things that you made a friend of God with this person so that they could be there, and they're going to welcome us together with the Lord. This, I believe, is the primary meeting, what God was after, what Jesus was trying to say through this verse. He, I, I love this. I love the, the idea of this. And if you're the owner, if, you're, if it's the owner's money that you're giving away, he has plenty more to pass through you if you're willing to do so. I want to finish with a quick story. Pastor Tom Hughes tells this story of having a cup of coffee with a friend uh, some years ago at a coffee shop in Los Angeles. And, and if you've ever spent much time in Los Angeles, you know almost year-round the weather is amazing. It's really, really good there. If there weren't so many people there, I'd say let's all move to L.A. because... It, it, you know, I like people, but, you know, there are limits, right? But it's, wow, the weather. If you're just going for weather, it's amazing most times of the year. So anyway, he's at this coffee shop, but it just so happened that day, it was raining and a bit on the cold side. And this, this coffee shop had an outdoor patio that was right by a sidewalk, by a street. And so they're out there chatting and talking. And, and as he's talking with his friend, uh, he looked down the road and sees a homeless man coming their way, and he's walking toward them. And you know how, you know, and just being real, and I think this pastor is being real, but I, I can picture myself thinking the same thing. Man, I hope he crosses the street. I hope he doesn't stop. I hope he doesn't come onto this patio and start asking for money. Okay, we, we do that. Come on, let's be real. So, sure enough, this guy shows up. He, he comes up to them and begins to ask them for, for money. And, um, and, and so... The friend that Tom was having coffee with didn't have his wallet with him, and Tom had only had a credit card to pay for the coffee with, so neither of them had any cash. So then the friend asked, he said to the homeless guy, he said, so if I did have money, what would you use the money for? And the homeless man looked down at his feet, which were wet and cold and had cuts and bruises all over them, and, and uh, he had no shoes, and he said, I, I would buy some shoes with them. So the friend looked at him, he says, so... What size are you? The guy says, I have size 11. The friend says, well, you're just in luck today because I also happen to wear size 11. And I'm going to give you my shoes. So he bends down, unties his own shoes, goes over and puts his own shoes on this cold, wet, rainy day on the feet of this homeless man. Begins to lace them up. Puts these shoes on the grimy feet of this homeless man. That friend of Tom's is a wise manager who gave the owner's shoes to someone who needed them. And he made a, himself, for himself, a friend and a, hopefully a friend of God. Remember, we are in management. 
again, we're in middle management. <laughs> there's God, there's us, and there's the whole world. We're in middle management. Do you see it, church? Do you see it today? The reason Jesus said this servant was wise is because he learned how to use his master's money and bless others. The money belongs to the rich man. We just get to use it to be generous with others. And there's nothing quite like the joy of spending someone else's money. Amen? Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.